Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is former Texans and Lions Pro Bowl defensive back Glover Quinn, who now co-hosts the Believe and Lions podcast covering the Detroit Lions as part of the Believe Network. Oh, man, great to catch up with you, Glover. Do you miss Houston at all? Oh, man, I I mean, I actually live here. So, uh, Oh, you're still here? Oh, yeah, I live here. Um, but I do, I do miss Ben, I guess I would say on the inside, I guess, as part of a Texans member, but yeah, I live here. I, I live on the West side a little bit, so I still get my, uh, my Houston fix. What was your uh, favorite part about, you know, just playing for the Texans and, and being a part of the program as they got to their first playoffs? The atmosphere was just so electric it just felt like, you know, I remember, I can remember driving to the games, getting there early in the morning, and it's just so many people out tailgating and walking the streets. And it just felt like you were going to a football game, you know, and I've been to almost every stadium and you pull up to some stadiums and there's nobody out around the stadium. And, you know, some places have other off-site, I guess, tailgating places. Like in Detroit, they didn't tailgate right around the stadium, right? They had like this park or this place where that was designated for tailgating, but it wasn't right around the stadium. So when you pulled up to the game, you didn't see any of the tailgating. They could have been having a party going on over there, but you never saw it because it wasn't right next to the stadium. Whereas in Houston, you pull up, you see everybody, you smell the food you like it just was a crazy 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 cool environment and then you know those years that we were winning a division 2011 2012 the the atmosphere inside was electric every game so that was fun and you know the fans were were incredible and you know it's houston it's a it's a football city texas fans were not happy when the organization let you go is is it true they didn't even make an offer yeah that's true (laughs) what happened (laughs) Um, I, I, I honestly don't know. Well, I mean, I, I guess I felt like, I mean, from what I've heard, I don't know. I think the GM at the time got word that Ed Reed would be available. You know, we had made it to the playoffs two years in a row and got bounced in the second round. And they were looking for someone to try to get over that hump. And so Ed having the experience that he had, the resume that he had, they felt like, okay, Ed could be a guy that could help get us over the hump. You know, they had paid Danielle Manning. They had paid Jonathan Joseph. You know, Kareem Jackson was on his first-round contract deal. Um, and so giving me some money at that time, being the young, up-and-coming guy, I think they wanted to get somebody that had a little more experience. And so they never offered me. They went after Ed, and they got Ed. And... <laughs> They got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that didn't work out too well. Nah, because I think you know when you think about it, you 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 can't forget about the journey. You can't forget about every little thing that goes into it. Yeah, you can look and say, "Hey, we've got bounced in the second round the last two years. We need to get over that hump." But you can't automatically put yourself back at that hump. You got to get back to that hump. So you got to go through all the steps the next year to get back to that point and then hopefully 
you're able to get over that hump. And I think they just assumed that we would be right back at that hump the next year. And they kind of let go a lot of us, you know, I mean, they let me go. They let Connor Barwin go. They let, I think James Casey left. I mean, there's a lot of guys from the 09 class that left. I don't think the only, I think the only two guys that stayed from the 09 class was Brian Cushing. He was our first rounder and Bryce McCain. I think he signed late as a six rounder. So everybody else, I think they let go, but I was a, a glue piece to the defense. We had a lot of superstars on that defense. And, um, you know, I was kind of like that unknown piece of glue, I guess, that that kind of kept everybody together. You know, so it all worked out because, I, you know, I was telling some people that, you know, I think if I would have stayed in Houston, I don't know if they would ever gave me a chance to be a star because we had so many stars. You know, like I said, we had a young J.J. Watt. You know, we had J. Joe and... Um, Brian Cushing and, you know, so many guys that I don't know if I would have ever been put in a position to be a star or to excel or be like that guy. I think I would have always been like that little young do-boy glue piece to just kind of do every little thing to make the engine go, but never really get the credit for making the engine go. So it all worked out. I still got love for the city. I still got love for the fans. The fans still love me. I still love them. The players, we still cool. The organization, I don't have anything against the organization. It just is what it is. I want to ask you about one of the guys that you played with in just a second, but just a quick reminder to support the show by subscribing and commenting if you're watching this on YouTube. And for those watching, don't forget, you can listen on the run with your favorite podcast app. But uh, Glover, you spent your first three seasons playing with D'Amico Ryan's what are your memories of playing with D'Amico? I mean, D'Amico was incredible. True, true leader, true captain. Um, it was incredible for me to come in as a rookie and and be in the same locker room on the same field as as D'Amico. He was one of those guys that when he said something, we, we listened. He did it. We could be on the field in the middle of a play. He feels something. He started checking the call. Then everybody's doing whatever D'Amico said. Coach might have called this, but bump it. D'Amico said, do this, and this is what we're doing. Um, he was just one of those type of guys. He had that relationship with the coach from, you know, just his studying and his, you know, IQ of the game. Because, you know, sometimes you're out there and, you know, we, we may have a all-out blitz called and sometimes somebody tipped their hand or whatever and the quarterback sees it. He starts checking. D'Amico's like, oh, nah, bro. Like, you see that we're in an all-out blitz and you're checking to some play to try to score a touchdown. No, we're going to check out of this all-out blitz and check to something that's going to help us. And it's kind of like a cat-and-mouse game. And so just seeing him, seeing him present every day, working hard, you know, even though he didn't like conditioning, he used to do it. He used to do it. You have some of those guys that don't like it and they always find a way to get out of it, you know, come up lame, lay down. It's the off-season, don't feel like running. D'Amico didn't like doing the condition, but he did it. He did it. Um, you know, we still have fun and make, you know, joke about it a little bit, different players and stuff every time. But it's just how he was. And he's a great guy. So I was so excited to see him come back to Houston, come back home and 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 try to get that culture back to, to what it used to be, what it what it needs to be for a city like this. I, I think he has a great connection with the city. I think he'll get the city back involved, back excited like they should be. And then I think and hope the product on the field will, will match that. You still keeping pretty close touch with him? 
Uh, I mean, I don't talk to him like on the phone or anything like that, but we've communicated. I was, I saw him at the, uh, at the building when he got here, but I don't call him or text him or anything like that. I'm not going to make it seem like I do all that stuff. But, um, when we see each other, we do, we do talk and, you know, I'm sure if I text him or call him, he'd answer the phone. I just choose not to do that. He got plenty of things to, uh, to worry about. <laughs> he didn't say anything to you when you saw him that, uh, press conference about, Hey, maybe Glover, you can come out and talk to my DBs or is you, you, you think about coming out and helping the guys out at all? Or is that a possibility? And, you know, if that, if that's something that he wants, you know, I don't have a problem coming out and lending the voice, helping out, you know, wherever it's needed. I'm not one of those guys that just sit there and just like, Hey man, let me come do this. Let me come do that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm available. I'm here in the city. You know, he knows me. He knows who I was as a player. He know how I am. And so if he wants me to come out and say some talk, whatever, I'll be more than willing to do whatever I can to, uh, to help him and, and his team be successful because I want to see him do well. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I live here. The Texans are, were the team that gave me my first opportunity to play in the NFL. So I got love for the team. So I want to see the team do well. I want to see the organization do well. You know, I went to Detroit. They, they were the team that, you know, want them in free agency. And so I still keep up with those guys. I want to see those guys do well. I have no, no ill feelings against either one of these organizations. And so if any one of them need me to do anything to try to help out as far as full-time coaching, I don't know about that, but I'm sure that's some kind of role that if they want me to, to, to play or to, to have, I would be willing to take a look at it. Did you get a chance to watch him much last year? Did you get a chance to see the rookie Jalen Petrie? The, the safety no i actually didn't and that was funny well not funny but it's kind of crazy i didn't get to watch i don't think i watched a single texans game because you know i was doing a believe in lions podcast so sure. I, I was having to watch if i had to choose i had to watch the lions game so i could understand see what was going on so we'd be able to talk about it i don't think i watched a single texans game like at least from start to finish so no i didn't i, I didn't get to see the young safety I want to go back to your rookie year because it's crazy to look back at this coaching staff, your rookie year in 09. That staff, if people don't know, Kyle Shanahan, Matt mm-hmm. LaFleur, mm-hmm. Robert Sala, mm-hmm. and oh, Mike, Mike McDaniel had just left the year before. What, <laughs> what do you remember about that staff and, and those guys? I mean, I just remember, you know, they were young and Matt LaFleur, he was like the quarterback coach or offensive quality guy with, with Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala. He was like quality control, like a linebacker, helper, you know, just kind of doing the dirty work. So I spent a lot of time with Sala because, you know, we're doing scout team and he's out there on the field early setting up. I was out there on the field early, getting myself ready to play. So me and Coach Sala, we spent a lot of time just talking and, you know, just talking about the game. And he was young and, you know, hungry and trying to uh, move up in the coaching ranks, obviously. But he was he was putting in the work. He was putting in his time. And, you know, the same with, with LaFleur. And so, you know, Kyle Shanahan was Kyle Shanahan. You know, he was just a young coordinator at the time. But he was exciting, you know, watching him in practice. We used to, you know, do Scott team stuff. And they would have us, you know, do this and do that. And it'd be guys running wide open down the sideline. And you, we used to be on the sideline like, bro, they ain't going to be that wide open in the game. And sure enough, we would get in the game and guys would be like that wide open. It's just incredible how he could like just draw up plays or whatever and call them at the right time. I say that to people all the time. Like, man, that's it's crazy that we had all those guys 
on the same staff. That's how Robert Sala, I think, ends up with Kyle Shanahan because when Kyle's the offensive coordinator, he's working hand-in-hand with the defensive guy that runs the scout team because the scout team is the team that's giving the offense a look to prepare for the game. So Coach Sala was running the defensive scout team. So then Coach Sala is having to spend a lot of time with Kyle Shanahan, making sure that the plays are right, making sure that the guys are doing what he wants them to do. So I'm sure him and Kyle got really close. Then Kyle gets a uh, head coaching job or gets a, in a position. He can hire Coach Sala. You know, it just goes from there. You hear a lot of people talk about the Shanahan system, which we saw with Kubiak and the, and the Kubiak system, some people would call it, but it, it's it's all part of that same family tree. Do you think there's too much made of the system? You think this is more Kyle Shanahan and, and his brain, or do you feel like it's all in the same sort of category in the same family? Like how do you differentiate those two? I mean, I think it's all in the same category, but at the end of the day, every person is going to be different. You know what I'm saying? We can all sit under the same lesson and learn the same things But at the end of the day, there's going to be things that you learn and there's going to be ways that you feel like, you know what, we can get the same thing done, but we can do it this way. And I can sit in there and learn the same exact thing, but my brain and the way I am is probably going to tell me something totally different. And so I think at the end of the day, that's what you have. You you know, it's a system, but Kyle Shanahan just gets to put his spin on it. He's been in it for years. He knows it inside and out. And so he gets to put his own spin, his own creativity into it. You know what I'm saying? Things that we're doing now in 2023, they weren't doing back in 1997. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, it's a system built around certain principles and things like that. But Kyle has been able to, you know, be innovative and, and put his own spin on it and, you know, do some different things with it. But, you know, that's just a kudos to him for evolving in the offense and, 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 and doing more, but also understanding the roots and where it come from and, and keeping those, some of those principles. You played with some Hall of Famers down the line, and I want to start off with Andre Johnson. You lined up against him in practice quite a bit. What do you tell people? What do you tell kids? Maybe your kids or your nephews and niece. I don't, I don't know. What do you tell them about Dre? What, what's your favorite Dre story? Well, I'm just like Dre. You know, when I first got to Houston, Dre was like a, a like a, or like a legend. Like you know, I was on the same team with Dre, and it took me probably a month to even speak to Dre because I felt <laughs> like I couldn't even speak to him. Like man, I can't say anything to Dre right now. Um, me and my roommate, we used to come back to the room every day and be like, "Bro, did you speak to Dre today?" And it was like, "Nah, bro, not today." You know what I'm saying? He was just that. Like he had that aura about him, but he worked, he worked, he worked, man. And, you know, I remember lining up against him in practice and I didn't, I didn't talk any noise. I didn't, and he didn't either. He just went out, went to work and did his thing. You know, I remember one day I caught an interception in, in OTAs and I had returned it. And as I'm running back to get back on defense, uh, Dre sticks his hand out and like, give me like a little, a little low five. I went back to the sideline. I told my roommate, I'm like, bro, Dre doubt me up. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna speak to him today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, 
you know, that's just kind of how it was. So we, we basically kind of built our relationship. You know, I didn't come in just trying to be super cool with Dre just because he was Dre and I wanted to be, you know, I don't know, say I was cool with Dre. I just wanted to come in and earn my respect. I wanted to earn my keep with, with all the guys. And that's just kind of how I went about my business. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to I'm I'm play. I'm going to compete when it's between the whistles, between the lines. I got to compete. You know, I remember going through the draft process, and that was one thing that the coach that used to call me all the time, Perry Carter, that's one thing he used to say, you know, when he was just kind of asking me questions about the draft and stuff. He would always say, you know, if we bring you in, you, you ain't going to be scared to compete with Andre, right? Like, you know, he, you ain't going to be scared when you lined up in front of Andre. And I was just like, you know, at the and at the time, I'm I'm saying whatever. No, nah, I ain't going to be scared. You know, man, I'm ready to go. You know what I'm saying? Because I wanted to get drafted or whatever. And, you know, that first day of practice, when it actually really happened and you line up in front of Andre Johnson, you like, oh, snap. <laughs> All right, here we go. This Andre. I can't be scared. You know, I can't be scared, but oh, snap, this Andre. <laughs> but it was uh, it was cool, man. It was cool. I had the, the luxury of playing with Andre Johnson and left him and, you know, went with Calvin Johnson. And so it was just incredible time for me. Yeah, you just picked it up right where I was going to. Uh, talk to you next about, and that's uh, Megatron. What, what were the similarities and differences between playing against Andre and Calvin Johnson and, and, and maybe them as personalities too? You know, they, they, they both were really, really, really hard workers. They both practice hard. They both were big in the weight room. I used to watch both of them weigh in because my locker was right next to the scale in Houston and right by the scale, almost in Detroit. And so I used to see those guys, you know, Andre weighing in at, you know, 230 pounds, Calvin Johnson weighing in at 240 pounds, like just like, wow, these guys are, you know, incredible in size. Calvin was a little taller. I think Andre was a better route runner. You know, I think Calvin was probably a better just, you know, just bigger body, you know, going up for fade balls. Houston didn't throw a lot of fade balls to Andre once we got into the red zone. And so if Andre wasn't scoring from 10 yards out, it was kind of difficult for him to get touchdowns. That's probably why his touchdowns number is is not as high because they didn't throw fades to Andre Johnson close to the red zone. But, you know, Calvin Johnson, they're throwing it up. And he was just one of those guys that can go and get it. But as far as personalities, they both were kind of the same. You know, they just kind of quiet to themselves a little bit. Um, going about their business, taking care of everything they need to take care of. It's a lot getting put brought their way. They like to have a good time. You know, once they get to know you and they and they feel like they can trust you and let you in their circle, super cool guys. Calvin came on my DB room show a couple of years ago, and, you know, I still talk to Andre now. He got some frames done the other, the other week. Both of those guys are just super cool guys, um, but both of them work really, really hard and, and great, great football players huge specimens and like I said I think Calvin was a little bit probably bigger and you know probably probably would say had the the 50-50 ball bigger body type but Andre probably was a better route runner that's interesting well next guy I want to ask you about is uh, sitting over my shoulder here and you watched him as a rookie come into camp JJ Watt what did he do at first that you go, man, this guy is different. This guy's kind of special. What was the first thing that you, you started noticing? Like, this isn't the same, this isn't my normal defensive end here. 
Well, you know, he he just had a personality for one for the fans. So from the minute he got there, he just, you know, the fans took to him and he knew how to entertain and work the crowd and stuff like that, even from training camp. But I remember being at practice and generally in practice, they don't let you sack the quarterback. And so Schaub would step back to throw the ball and JJ used to just knock down every pass, just almost like as defensive backs, we couldn't hardly get any work in. Like he's knocking down every pass almost. Thing is, you got in the games, he was doing the same exact thing. And I remember Coach Kubiak wanted to say something to him one day because we, we was trying to get we was trying to get some work in the secondary and we couldn't because <laughs> JJ was knocking down the ball every time. <laughs> And it got to the point to where he was doing it so much in the games that Coach Kubiak was like, well, if you're going to do it in the games, I'm going to let you do it in practice because we're getting a realistic look at what it's like in, in the game. So, you know, DB's being ready to catch tip balls and, and you know, balls fluttering in the air because J.J. done got his hands on it. And so we began to practice that way, and he was doing it in the game. He ended up catching a pick. Just I, mean, I remember his first playoff game, I think he was playing against Cincinnati, he catches a pick right out of midair and returns it for a touchdown, right? So he was doing those things in practice from from the beginning, and he was doing those things in the game as well. Matt Schaub gets the Liz Frank injury in 2011. Texans fans remember that, you know, that Ravens playoff loss and how frustrating that was. Be honest with me now, Glover. Do you guys beat the Ravens with a healthy Matt Schaub? How far do you go that year, do you think? No question we win that game. No question. We won that game. I mean, we had a touchdown on the first play of the game. Yeah. You know, we did. We ran a bootleg, and Kevin Walters running wide open. I think under Ed Reed was the safety, and he just knew it was going to be a pass, I mean, a run. So he was in the backfield almost getting ready to tackle Arian Foster, and we didn't win play action. But, you know, TJ didn't see it or didn't want to pull the trigger, so he checks it down to the flat, and I think Ed Reed makes the tackle, and it's like he's celebrating. And we're sitting there like, man, we had a touchdown over the top. So I definitely think if we had shot that game, we we win that game. And that was the second round. So once you win that one, you're into the a- AFC championship game. And, you know, that year it would have been New England, I think. No. Yeah, it would have been New England that yeah, year. Yeah, it was New England. And then they ended up losing to the Giants in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, that Giants team was – not spectacular. It was a, I think it was a wild card team that went to the Super Bowl. So those were, those were beatable teams, I guess. Uh, New England was, was always tough, but yeah. I think both years we had the same kind of, you know, the first year shot being hurt. And then the second year, we kind of just tricked that one off. Cause I mean, we were, you know, we had played Baltimore in like week six to seven and smashed those guys like 40 something to 13 or something like that. And then we got to the end of the season with three games left. We were already basically the one seed for the most part. All we had to do was win one game. And I think we tricked off three games in a row or two games in a row. We lost to Minnesota down the stretch. We lost to Indy the last game of the season. Was that the year of the letter, Letterman jacket game when they yeah. played in New England? Mm-hmm. Did, did 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 the guys regret that at all after it happened, or just that's that is there's a lot more made of that. You think there's a lot more made of of that than yeah, it was a lot more made of. I mean, we didn't. I mean, I think the the main players they didn't. I I didn't make anything of it. Yeah, you don't think that necessarily incited the pay. It was just the Patriots were that <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, I mean they 
they had they had a scheme for us and with with way they had Wade's number and and they game planned us and schemed for us. So that's how it was. I don't think it had anything to do with the Letterman Jackets. I think they just they're just something to run with. You know, after you've won the game, you can run with that now. But I don't think that was a motivating factor for those guys. We talk about the Hall of Famers, J.J. Watt, Andre Johnson, Calvin Johnson. I mean, not just good Hall of Famers, but we're talking about some of the best Hall of Famers, I think, in, in that category. A guy that's not going to make the Hall of Fame, but probably would have if he'd stayed healthy, was Arian Foster. H- how good was Arian Foster at, at his peak? He was good, man. He 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 was he was a dynamic running back, and you know he was faster than a lot of people thought he was. If he broke loose in the open field, he was he he was gone. He, he wasn't no catching him. He had a dynamic one cut foot in the ground, and it was explosive. You know, he had good patience. He was a perfect running back for that for that offense, and he was good at the backfield. He could catch the ball like he he was good. He was one of those guys that was super super legit. I, I must say, he was he was good just watching him in practice and and you know, watching him in the games, we were sitting there wondering why we're not giving him the ball. Like, man, we need to run the ball. We need to run the ball. And you just knew that he was going to break something, 10-yarder, 5-yarder, 40-yarder. You're just waiting for it. You're just waiting for him to get the ball and start running towards the sideline and, boom, put his foot in the ground, and he's exploding up the middle for 10, 15, 20 yards. So he was an incredible talent. One of the things that I always thought he did so well, and, and you have – a better idea than anybody because you watched it up close, but he just seemed to be this incredible anticipator, his vision and and knew when and where to cut at that line of scrimmage and to find that hole. He, if you gave the the Texans a a third and short or a fourth and short, you were almost sure he was going to get you a first down. No question. No question. You, you, you felt that way. And like I say, you knew he, I mean, I remember playing against Oakland out there in Oakland, he breaks free and goes, long way so you knew he had to dis he had the ability to go to the house and so three or four yards we you know i mean he's a bigger guy too he's you know he's 230 220 i mean when we got short yardage we we felt very confident that that arian was going to get the job done him and you know running behind Vontae leach at the time like it's gonna be tough to stop those guys from from getting a yard or two you mentioned him earlier. What did Daniel Manning and Jonathan Joseph mean to your career? Um, you know, at the time, John, Jonathan Joseph, he was, you know, a veteran guy that, you know, I learned a lot from. Even though he was a corner, I learned a lot from him just in playing the game and, you know, my tempo and understanding certain things. You know, D-Man was just, in, you know, he was super athletic. He knew what I could do as a player, because we talked, we practiced together. And he used to always just encourage me to 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 be that guy because he knew I could do it. But just seeing how he played, how much fun he had, how you know, he 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 played with a motor. Um he was excited every day for practice. Just excited all the time. You know what I'm saying? And so just seeing those things and 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 seeing what it looks like from that standpoint. And being around J. Joe and just his his tempo, his demeanor when it comes to covering and playing and all these different things were just so cool to me. And, and you know, I took a lot of things I learned from those guys on with me and added it to my toolbox, you know, for the rest of my career. 
you're co-hosting the Believe in Lions podcast with Jack Cavanaugh. What do you think of their offseason so far? I think they've added some pieces where they need it. I think they retained some of the pieces that they needed. They upgraded, supposedly, a couple of pieces. I think they've had a pretty productive offseason. I think, you know, you look at last year, I don't think they had any major mega superstars. You know, I would say they had some stars. But I don't know if they had any mega superstars. And you see what they were able to do last year. So I think they tried to do a good job of keeping a lot of those pieces and then bringing in some pieces to enhance those. And so they were really young in the secondary last year. The oldest guy was Tracy Walker, and then he ended up getting hurt. And so they are really young in the secondary last year. So you see they went out this year. They they signed Cameron Sutton from Pittsburgh. They signed uh, the the kid from San Francisco. They brought in C.J. Gardner Johnson from Philly. So they brought in a veteran safety, two veteran corners, to hopefully bring some stability to that room. Resigned a couple linebackers. Resigned D lineman. Resigned wide receiver. Yeah, they lost the running back, but. You know, based off of the pay grade, they upgraded the running back because Jamal went to New Orleans and got four year, maybe, I think, something like that, four and a half, five. And they gave Montgomery uh, six a year, I think. So from that standpoint, it's like, okay, well, Jamal did what he did last year. Uh, this kid that they signed is maybe he's even better. And so I think they feel like they upgraded the roster. I think they've had a pretty, pretty solid offseason. You know, we'll see what happens with the draft and what they decide to do and and how they continue to put this team together. But, um, you know, I think I think so far they've been doing a good job of finding pieces that fit the team for the most part. I'm still interested to see how C.J. Garner-Johnson will be uh, with the Detroit Lions and how Cameron Sutton will be and, and just some of the new guys that they brought in. So I was interested to see how they start to jail and how they come together. But I think they've been doing a good job. One last thing with the Lions before I let you go. Aaron Glenn, former Texan, coaching the defense there. You guys did not cross paths here in Houston, but you've had a chance to watch what he's done in Detroit. Is this guy a future head head coach? And, you know, what, what's your impression of Aaron Glenn? I mean, I, I think he, you know, would deserve it. Will, will, will he get it? I don't know. You know, it's today's NFL. You know, I never I never played along with him. Um, but I've met him, talked with him throughout my years here in Houston. Great guy. Um, hard worker. Does things, does things the right way. So do I think at some point he would deserve a head coaching gig? Yes. Do I think he would probably get it? You know, it'd be tough because he was in the time, discussion for sure. I think this offseason. He, he definitely would be in a discussion. And, you know, hopefully somebody pulls the trigger and give him an opportunity. When you look at the team that he played for, the Jets probably like, you know, Robert Sala right now. And I can't root against Robert Sala. That's my guy. And then obviously Houston has D'Amico Ryan. So those are, you know, like two inside organizations that he played for that, you know, kind of yeah. could be an easier path. So he just got to continue to do what he's doing and hopefully his defense has another good year, be better than they were last year. And you can continue to see the growth in him as a coordinator and this and this and that. And, you know, everything work out. He should get a head coaching opportunity at some point. I hope so. I uh, love Aaron Glenn loved him here in Houston. Uh, go check out Glover's podcast, Believe in Lions. Hit him up on Twitter at Glover Quinn. 
Jr. That's uh, Glover Quinn Jr. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes, Glover. And notice, Glover, I made no mention of Hail Marys in Jacksonville. No mention of that at all. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I don't even have a problem with that stuff, man. That's 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 a part of that's a part of my history. That's a part of my makeup. That's a part of what makes me who I am, man. It happened. Do I like it? No. But hey, you know, two weeks later. It was frustrating because because you did you not you did what you're supposed to do. You put you trying yeah, to I did what I was supposed down. to do. You know, I did what I was supposed to do and it and it is what it is, you know. But it was a that was a two that was a that was a tough stretch, you know, two two weeks in a row. I had the Hail Mary. One week, came back the next week. We playing against the Jets, and I break my hand in that game. Didn't know it was broke, so I'm finishing up the game. And then Santana Moss, uh, I'm not Santana Moss, Santonio Holmes catches a touchdown on an all-out blitz at the end of the game, and we lose that game. So two games in a row, I've been on the losing end of, like, the game-winning touchdown. And then I come back the third game. I never lost who I was, my confidence, and come back the third game cast on my hand catch three interceptions so hey man sometimes you got to go through the hard stuff to get to the good part man so yeah you went through it you got 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 to the pro bowl and did some great things along the way man incredible career uh can't tell you how much it means to me that you took some time to do this and, and good luck with the show uh hopefully we can catch up sometime down the road man thanks a lot all right man no problem You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Touchdown!